thank you for joining us at Luminous Church. And this morning, we hope that you see Jesus clearly. Yeah, let's clap for the movies! Yeah, baby! So awesome, man! Welcome to Regal 14. That's all that you're gonna get if you want any more buy a movie ticket at the box office here after church. You're more than able to do that, man. We are excited about this new series at the movies. And um, today, I'm excited for today. I'm excited for what God wants to speak to us. I love movies. I love movies. Who in here loves movies? Like you just love to go to the movies. I loved movies more when I was single than when I'm married because now I feel like I'm living a movie. You know, I used to have to live vicariously through everyone and through these actors and through these romantic comedies. And, and I know some of you single people out there, some of you young professionals are still going to the movie hoping that you'll get to share hands in a popcorn with some attractive man or attractive woman. And uh, we, we applaud you for that. I hope that happens for you. Uh, we believe that, that movies, movies bring us together in all sorts of ways, don't they? They bring us together in all sorts of ways. Movies spark our emotions. I'm an emotional guy. If you didn't know that, I'm, I'm super emotional. I, I'm I'm dramatic in every way. I'm emotional. I carry my emotions on my sleeve. You, you absolutely know where I am and where my emotional state is by just having a conversation with me. And it can vary day to day, can it, babe, unfortunately. And so, you know, I'm just an emotional guy. And I'm driven to emotions. And Hollywood has mastered the art of driving my emotions. And they want to. They want to drive emotions. That's, that's Hollywood's goal is that they're driving your emotions for a message, for an outcome. That they want a message or an outcome. Maybe they want you to think culturally about something different. Maybe, maybe they're introducing something political. Maybe, maybe there's certain agendas, but every movie has a message. And if it's just what we call just a good popcorn film, the message is just to tell your friends so that they actually meet budget, right? So they want to make it that exciting so they meet their budget. And so every film has a message. Say that with me. Every film has a message. Every film has a message. Every film has a message. And you leave movies sad, leave them happy, sometimes you leave them angry. Have you ever seen a, a fighting movie and you just want to go take on the world and go fight somebody? It, it's, it's so strange. You know when those movies come out because as you step out the front doors, everybody's just like staring you down. Like, whoa, man, they're just ready. They're just ready for me to offend them. It's amazing how they do that. You go to, you know, back in my day, the Titanic for the fourth time. Everybody comes out of the movie wanting to hold hands and looking for love. And all the single guys are like on a row. It's like, it's like a dance-off, you know, just waiting to get picked. It's awesome. <laughs> movies are amazing. I love movies. And I think that in our context of church, that we can actually look at movies and use them as modern-day parables to pull out things for us. Things that are good. I don't think every movie is redeemable. I will say that. I will preface it. But I do think that oftentimes we can go to the movies and we can see a, a, a message 
that is far greater than the movie itself. God would say this, that he's left his imprints on the earth. That if you were just to look at nature, you would see the goodness of God. If you were to look at nature, you would see that there is a God. And I believe that when we go to the movies, when we see the movies, we can see some of God's imprint and what he is doing and what he is saying. And what I call this is a biblical world view. And there's two worldviews out there. There's, there's a secular worldview or a worldview outside of the Bible. And then there's one defined by the Bible, a biblical worldview. And we would put on biblical, biblical glasses, a lens, if you will, for seeing the world. It's why we use this phrase over and over again. You'll see it wherever it is. It's on our, it's on our offering envelopes. It says, seeing Jesus Clearly, seeing Jesus clearly, because if we can see the world through the lens of Jesus, the world will look a lot different than others think that it looks like. And I believe there's a lot of hope in that. I believe God's going to do a lot. There's going to be four movies that we talk about over the next four weeks. Today is Avengers. Any Avengers fans out there? Awesome. Awesome. Next week will be Pixar's Inside Out, and I believe that God's going to show some really cool things through Inside Out. The third week, I have to bring it back old school, because it's my generation. We're going to talk about Fast and Furious. And so if you have a hot rod or a cool car, just park it up front, man. Just maybe pop the curb and just leave it there and just walk off, you know, drop the mic. Do whatever you need to do, Fast and Furious. And then... My friend, Pastor Rich Brown, who, who is from Abilene, an African-American who has retired from the Air Force, pastor in an awesome Every Nation Church there, will conclude our series over Selma. And I believe that God is going to just do some amazing things through this series. I believe he's going to highlight some things. Avengers. Avengers. If you have the Luminous Church app, if you download it, there's a poll question. Which Avengers is better? Which Avengers is better, a, a part one or the Age of Ultron? Which Avengers is better? I'd love your opinion on that. In fact, take 10 seconds and argue your case to your neighbor right now. Which Avengers is better? Find a neighbor, turn around to them, look at them, just say it. If, if you don't know your neighbor, just wave at them and then keep looking forward. That would be awesome also. Which Avengers is better? Well, I will, I will say as you're, as you're pleading that case and you're voting on our poll and we'll show those poll results every week, we're going to have some fun creative polls for you. As you do that, it's going to be really hard to, to top the first Avengers. The first Avengers brought one and a half billion dollars in the box office. I mean, this was amazing. Seeing all these superheroes coming together for the first time to fight evil. It was awesome. And so whether you like Iron Man or you like Captain America, it's okay. It's okay because you're on the same team. I love Avengers. And today I want to use Avengers Age of Ultron. How many of you seen Avengers Age of Ultron? A few of y'all. Okay, I'm going to have a read a synopsis for you. Avengers Age of Ultron, Marvel Studios writes this. When Tony Stark tries to jumpstart a dormant peacemaking program, things go array, awry. And Earth's mightiest heroes, including Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, and the Incredible Hulk, Black Widow, and Hawkeye, yeah. 
are put to the ultimate test as the fate of the planet hangs in the balance. As the villainous Ultron emerges, it is up to the Avengers to stop him from enacting this terrible, his terrible plans. And soon, uneasy alliances or unexpected action paved the way for a global adventure. That is, that's intense, just the synopsis. Who wants to go watch that? Yeah. Yes, let's do it. I can't wait till it comes out. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Man, I, I love this because here Tony Stark, he's creating this program. He's creating Ultron to fight off the aliens. And the intent and the purpose of the program is good, is awesome. And it's going to be amazing. And, and I, it, it's amazing watching the Age of Ultron because there are so many gospel parallels. And not for word for word, but there are some. We're going to extract those. You see, us two were created with a purpose, with a mission. We were created for good. We were created for so many things. In Genesis 1, 27 through 28, it says this. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the flesh, the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that comes on earth. We were created with a purpose. How many of you knew that when God set this up in motion, he, he gave mission and purpose, and it was good, and it was awesome. It was to take dominion over the earth, and to be fruitful and multiply. How many of you just want to have kids and not go to work? Like, that would be awesome, you know, just... Let's have kids and multiply and play with the animals and, and take dominion and cultivate the land and, and, and just and be there. It was so awesome and it was so effortless and it was so perfect. And in this garden, they got to spend time with God every day. In the cool of the evening, God came in and had a relationship with them, had fellowship with them, talked to them. And God says this in Genesis 2.17. He says, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall, shall surely die. Ultron was created with purpose and mission to protect his people, to be a peacemaker and to, to do all these things. It was so awesome. He was, he was going to be amazing. And us two were created awesome. But then here comes a fallen nature. A fallen moment. It's just like Ultron. Ultron is a machine, but he is ironically incredibly human. If you didn't know this, you need to know this. He's ironically incredibly human. More human than his counterpart Jarvis ever manages to be. He makes and remakes himself in the image of his creator. There are so many biblical quotes in this movie that we could just pull from and and take from, and I think it's awesome. But then I love the character of Scarlet Witch. Have y'all seen Scarlet Witch? She is a mind warper. And she begins to warp people's mind, rendering the Avengers powerless. And, and so she would put fantasies in their mind and different things in their mind. And all of a sudden they're on the ground and they can't accomplish anything. And it's, it's much like when I watch this movie, I, I see that, that the serpent did much of the same thing in Genesis. In Genesis the serpent did much of the same thing. We see in Genesis 3, 5. If you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, 
Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will be like God. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. And that was really the downfall of Ultron in Avengers. Remember, he wanted he wanted to play God. He wanted to, he thought he knew what was best. He thought he knew what was better. He thought he knew more than his creator. And therefore, he goes out and tries to destroy the earth. We see this in us too in the garden. Whether our mind was warped or we listened to something or maybe it was something that was so appealing. But there was this thing in us, this nature says, I want to be like God. A God complex. It's, it's really what we struggle with a lot of times is a God complex where we want to be in control of our lives. We want to make our decisions. America is amazing, but it's, it's a land of independency where I can have so much privilege and opportunity, which I think is so good, but in the negative sense, it can bring about, man, I get to serve me, and I get to do me. Isn't that the common phrase these days? Do you, do work, be you, be true to you. It's all about you. It's about happiness in your feelings at the cost of everything else. And Ultron saw that this is this is what's right and this is what's this is what's happening. And at the cost of all life, we're just going to start over. And Adam and Eve, they did them in the garden. They were about themselves. They were about who they are, and they started seeing themselves. This fallen nature came into humanity, and on that day, it said that they died. They died. And God banishes them from the garden at the end of chapter, Genesis chapter 3. And he says, he says, we must separate them from the tree of life. And they ended up dying. And a falling world existed. And we look around. Have you ever looked around and seen evil? Have you seen evil? Have you ever looked in the mirror? And seen evil. I mean, I have. I remember one of the first times I had this fallen nature. I was five years old. Five years old, an innocent five-year-old. Now, some of you have five years old, five-year-olds, and you know they aren't innocent, but every five-year-old thinks they're innocent. I remember going to JCP, is the new name for it, JC Penny's back in the day. And when I went to JCPenney's, my mom shopped forever. She would drag me into the shopping store and she would shop forever. And she had three boys and they just ran wild. I mean, they would just run all over the place. But as long as you stay in there, it's okay. It's a different times when people didn't grab kids. But I don't know if they could have grabbed us because we were strong, man. And I remember, man, when I was running around this department store hanging out, I saw a pot of gold. Not, not, literal, not a literal pot, but it was all this gold on the floor. It was, it was rings and necklaces. It was, it was all this jewelry. And I, I thought to myself, man, if I just grab some of this and pocket it, I think I could get some ice cream later today. Right? If I, if I could just grab this. And, and I'm just saying, we, you can remember the time when you were this age and you were this little. And the first time that you recognized, I messed up. I'm jacked up. I have a fallen nature. Man, I, my pockets were loaded. I was walking like this as a five-year-old. 
My mom was wondering what's wrong with me. Is that a wedgie or is something in my pocket? And it was jewelry. And I went to go show my brother, like, dude, we had ice cream sandwiches for weeks. It was awesome. Until my mom got a hold of me. And the fear of God settled in. And she dragged me in that department store. She made me apologize to the clerk. Give all my gold back to them. I was in tears, crying like crazy. And I'll just tell you this, I never stole another thing. It was a powerful moment. It was a powerful moment, but man, that's making light of the fallen nature. We look at the world, we look, at the, we look all around and we see evil. And we see really how jacked up we are. In Acts chapter 9, there's a jacked up guy. In Acts chapter 9, he, he thinks he's a little disillusioned, um, almost like Ultron. He thinks he's doing the right thing. He's going around in Acts chapter 9. This man is named Saul, and he's grabbing people, and, and he's grabbing all these Christians, all these people who put faith in Jesus. And he's taking them to prison, and he's beating them, he's persecuting them, because he said those who are in Jesus are against my faith and my religion, so I must persecute them and put an end to this in Acts chapter 9, 1 through 2. It says this, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, those who followed Jesus, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. We see Saul persecuting evil, fallen nature. He thinks he knows what's right. He thinks he's doing good. He thinks he's doing something awesome. And then here God comes to the rescue. Bring perspective. God comes to the rescue and brings perspective. In Acts chapter 9, verse 3, it says this. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me. Verse 3, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to, into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. The worship team could come help me close this out. That would be awesome. Saul, who was a murderer, Healing people, doing all these things. God came to the rescue. God shows up to Saul and he begins to speak to him. And he begins to come upon him. And Saul ends up going blind. He ends up going blind. And as he does, he sees Jesus. And Jesus reveals himself and says, Saul, you, you're jacked up. You're jacked up. You missed the mark. You're persecuting me. And so here Saul comes and he gets changed, radically changed. 
And I think God comes to our rescue in our jacked up nature, just like he came to Saul. He comes to us in our nature and he comes because he wants to give us a new nature and a new character. My favorite superhero is Captain America. I like Captain America. Anybody like Captain America here? Captain America is a man of integrity. I love it. He's a man who, who cusses rarely and is awesome and upright. He's the one who can barely move Thor's hammer because he may be somewhat worthy. He's awesome. But what I love about Captain America is that he didn't, he doesn't go and get a suit to be empowered. He doesn't change his suit. It's not some Iron Man suit that makes him powerful, but it's his nature. You see, when they reworked Captain America, they changed his code, his DNA, everything in him changed, and he became this superhero. And what I love about God is that he is giving a new nature. And so when in our fallen state, in the state of depravity, in the state of separation, in the state of when we're jacked up, and when a five-year-old is jacked up, Jesus came. And he said, I want to go give Ben a new nature. I want to give him a new identity. I want to give him a new name. I want to mark him. I want to mark him with something different. I want to mark him with me. Saul was referred to Saul for the next couple of chapters, but then Saul gets a different mission to go evangelize the Greek world and as he does he he goes by a Greek name a new name Paul and not Saul and as he's in the name of Paul he's writing and he writes half the New Testament and he reveals this new character that Jesus paid the price for have you ever tried to do anything that is exhausting and impossible anybody in here I get the trailer every Sunday morning. And when I back up to this 7,000 pound trailer, sometimes the ball, the hitch is off center. And, and without fail, I always go up to this hitch and I, I just push it, right? I'm, I'm trying to push it onto the hitch, the 7,000 pounds. I've tried every position. You know, I, I've used my legs and tried to back it on there. I, I've breathed out. I've watched CrossFit videos before I did it, getting all jazzed up. But it's impossible. And I think in order to be right with God, it's impossible. You need something different. You need something outside. And the one outside and the one who is different is Jesus. It said, it said that Jesus came, he lived a perfect life, a life that you and I should have lived perfect. That's his original intent. And he lived perfectly, never stealing costume jewelry, never doing anything that was evil or bad. And he died a death that you and I will die or should have died. A death of judgment. A death that we deserve.
because we're separated from God, a death of punishment. But because Jesus loves us, because he loves the world and he loves you and me, his end isn't destruction, but his end is redemption. His end is to redeem his people back to himself over and over and over again. He said, in order to do that, I'll take their punishment, God. And so he stretched out on to the cross. The greatest superhero that I've ever known, one of self-sacrifice for you and for me. But what's amazing is three days later, three days later, he conquered death. And now he's breathing life. And it says, for those who believe that Jesus took the punishment upon the cross, for those who believe that Jesus is who he says he is, for those who believe that Jesus rose again and ascended in high next to the Father, for those who believe in that superhero, in Jesus, they won't perish, but they'll have everlasting life. Romans says this, this is how much, Jesus wanted to avenge you. In verse 38 and 39, it says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us who are in Jesus from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes as I pray for you this morning? Man, for you, maybe you've recognized that you're messed up, that you've fallen short, that you aren't quite perfect. And Jesus is revealing himself to you. Maybe he's through imagery, maybe it's through a situation, Maybe it's a revelation, and I hope desperately it's a revelation. But maybe that's you, and you never committed to Jesus, never believed in him. But you want to today. I want to give you the opportunity just to acknowledge that by raising your hand. If that's you, would you raise your hand with every eye closed, every head bowed? Thank you. Thank you so much. Let's pray a simple prayer together out loud. If you would, repeat after me. Father God, thank you for sending Jesus, the ultimate superhero, who takes away sins and offers relationship for those who believe. Jesus, I believe in you. Make me new today. Bring life. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we stand with me this morning?